I chuckled when I started looking ahead at the plans for this series. Many of these titles were suggested to me by my good friend, Rick. I mapped out these things probably, goodness, it's been weeks ago now, far uh, longer than I would have expected uh, to know what was coming up. There's no way I could have known what would be happening right now this week as we speak. But this is, this is the focus that we were looking at. Every day I'm taking steps toward good health. You think that's apropos, maybe just a little bit? Uh, I think it was really good to know that we have some things in Scripture that are, that are going to really help us with some practical things we can do to strengthen our physical, emotional, and spiritual health as we start to reach and recognize everybody and communicate hope in this time, which is kind of a crisis. The feeling that I have been feeling this last couple of weeks, especially, uh, I'm going to share a story to kind of give you an idea of what's been going through my mind about that. A few years ago, I met a very intriguing young, young guy. His name was G. Clotaire Rapai. He's from France. He's a brilliant guy. Uh, he's a marketing specialist. He lives in Florida now, but he grew up in France. And he told me this true story about when he was a kid, maybe seven or eight years old. He said, uh, we knew that something was happening and we didn't know quite what. And we got some communications, but some of them were from dropped leaflets that were dropped from airplanes, and we didn't know whether we should believe that news or not. And uh, he said, so my parents seemed uneasy, and I couldn't figure out why, but we knew something was coming, and we just couldn't identify it. And he said, and all of a sudden, one day, we heard all this clamor, this noise, and we saw these soldiers, and because he grew up in France, and he knew a couple of different languages, he understood that these people were speaking in German, but they weren't ravaging their city and they weren't taking people prisoner. They weren't sh shooting at people. They were getting as quickly as they could through his village. They were going straight through the center of town and out the other side. And the people in town were just standing on the street watching this happen because they didn't understand what was going on. He said, then all of a sudden I heard what sounded like a rumble of thunder in the distance and it got closer and closer and closer. And he went out to the edge of a field that was on their parents' property through a break in the hedgerow, a big tank came rolling through and came right up close to him. And from that tank, a soldier popped open the hatch and came up and it, he said, I heard this American accent. It was the first American accent I had ever heard. And this guy greeted me and then he held up a chocolate bar and tossed it to me. And he says, I've had a very good impression of Americans ever since that time, <laughs> as you can imagine. He said, but what I discovered was that there was something that was about to change our world significantly, but we didn't have enough warning to know how to prepare for that. And I kind of feel like we have sort of been on the edge of that sort of thing just before World War II started, but it's been this invisible enemy. You've probably heard on the news some people referring to this as a war against an invisible enemy. And in a sense, I think that's probably fairly accurate. But because of that, our world has shifted. It's a seismic shift, and it's happened just almost seemingly overnight. I don't know about you, but even three weeks ago, I was one of those skeptics that thought they're blowing this way out of proportion. They've tried to scare us every other year with some new thing that's going to kill us all. I don't believe it. That's where I was three weeks ago. How quickly we can start to change our perspective once we start to understand what the real enemy is and how close it is once it's finally on our doorstep. And that's kind of where we are right now. Let me get real practical with a few things. 
First of all, we need to know that God made us, and so he has some prescriptions for us in Scripture. The Bible is a good place to turn for good principles in mind, body, and spirit health. You made me. You created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commands, says the word. God made your body, and Jesus died for your body. Now that's true for everybody. Even if you're a non-believer, you may not choose to believe it, but I think it's still true. God made your body, and Jesus died for your body. But for those of us who consider that we're in Christ, for those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in your body, and God's going to resurrect your body. God expects you, therefore, to take care of your body. If ever there was a time when we need to start taking care of our bodies, it's now while we're sort of uh, sequestered. If we're cloistered in a very small space, we need to do some things, practically speaking, to keep ourselves healthy in all ways so that we can be a good response to people who need us as we reach. Don't depend on your own wisdom, says in Proverbs. Respect the Lord and refuse to do wrong. Then your body will be healthy and your bones will be strong. If I try to rely on my own wisdom, I would have gone through all my snacks by now. <laughs> and I have to try to use a little bit of self-control. And some of where I get that is going to be what we're looking at today. Daniel's story. About the time when uh, Jerusalem got sacked, and you get all these people who were starting to get exiled into Babylon. So this was the first time Jerusalem was destroyed. The next one came after Christ had foretold that. It was in about 70 AD. So we're talking the first time, which is in BC. Daniel and three of his good friends were taken off into exile, along with about three different waves of people that were taken into Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar knew what he was doing because he wanted to get the brightest and best of the young scholars because he figured, hey, they know the language, they know the culture, I can put that to good use. I'm gonna train them and use them to help become some of the leaders because they can be liaisons between me and the people. And so he started to indoctrinate them in the ways of uh, the Babylonian uh, culture. Daniel was one of these bright people. He was clearly somebody that had been firm in his belief in Yahweh and God was using him in a strong way, but King Nebuchadnezzar wanting to give these new Jewish young lads all the good things because he wanted to treat them as though they were special, almost like the king's cabinet, so to speak. He started to give them all the finest foods and wines and all the rich things that he would normally eat. He said, give them everything that I would eat. But Daniel realized that some of the things that he was being told he could eat went against his Jewish upbringing and some of the laws that were given to the Jewish people back then. And because even though to us in our culture, we might think some of those laws were a little nitpicky and unusual, we're not sure why they would have been given to them that way, Daniel wanted to be obedient no matter what. So he told the king, said, we can't eat some of these foods. He said, but let me, let me do a little contest with you. If you'll let us eat just fruits and vegetables and not drink any of the wine that you're serving to us, just the things that we want to eat and do it just for 10 days. Let us try this just for 10 days, and let's see if we're healthy or not. Basically, it was a contest to say, if, uh, if we're not healthy, then sure, we'll, we'll do things your way. But Daniel was trusting that God's prescription was going to be healthy for them. And so they did that, and guess what happened? At the end of the 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. I think that's fantastic. Uh, we had a group of ladies in the church that I preached at uh, in Adrian, Michigan, I was there for a decade before coming to Living Water, 
And there was a group of ladies that started doing something that's similar to what we might call the Daniel plan. And it was a Bible study that was called Putting God First or something like that. Can't remember the exact title. The idea was not a diet. This was not about a diet. It was about trying to put God first in every area of their lives. And as they were going through the study, they started trying to replace bad habits with good habits. And so they started throwing out soda pop. I know I'm, I'm stepping on some toes here, but they started getting rid of a lot of extra sugar. They started doing lots more uh, raw vegetables and fruits, things that were as close to the way God made them as possible. If they would have had a cow in the front yard, they would have milked it and drunk it straight out of the cow. That was the idea for doing this thing. But in the course of that study, they started dropping some weight as well. And so they started keeping tabs on that. And you know what was really interesting? This was not the main goal. This was not a weight loss clinic. This was a put God first clinic. <laughs> and by the end of that 12 week study, collectively that small group of ladies had lost more weight than a pastor. <laughs> and they thought that is incredible. We didn't expect to do that, but clearly by just following the prescriptions of simple things that they were doing, to maintain a balance in their lives. Their physical health improved. They had more energy. They found themselves not having as restless a sleep at night. They were able to get up. They were able to stay in their tasks longer. They were drinking a lot more water. That was another thing that they'd done in addition to some of those simple things that they were doing. But I say that because even doing simple things, looking at God's word as our guide can make a huge difference in our health, mind, body, and spirit. Well, God's word applies to our overall health. That's one of the things they learned from their study together. It applies to our overall health. And I think it's great that when we're eating the right kinds of foods, our brain fires off better. We think better. We're more productive. And then our attitude changes and our mental health improves. And then we can really apply ourselves to doing spiritual disciplines as well. It's easier to get healthy when we have supportive friends. This is something that I keep reading again and again, especially now that we're learning how we can cope in this uh, sort of semi-quarantined condition. The fact that we're doing what we're doing right now is really great, and even the psychologists would agree. I wonder where they got that idea. I think maybe because God invented it first and the psychologists are just discovering it. But anyway, it's easier to get healthy when we have supportive friends. And by checking in with one another and by having meetings even virtually this way, it's amazing what this does to lift our spirits. We know how to pray for one another. We can pray in real time like we did on Wednesday night. Another shameless plug. We're going to do this every Wednesday night. I think it's great that we can support one another and we can still gather together even though it's in virtual space. And health is not just about losing weight. Too many people have tried to make that their goal. And what these ladies discovered was by putting God first it was a residual effect. It was a great effect, but that was not their main goal. Their main goal was to put God first in their life. So eating healthy foods. I mentioned a few of these things already. My wife is really good to uh, give me an indication when maybe I'm not in the best mood. She does so very subtly. She's not usually one to berate me or, or to be condescending or unkind, but she'll say, honey, have you have you eaten anything yet this morning? And usually that's my clue that I haven't. You've been redeemed at infinite cost. Therefore, you should glorify God in your bodies. And some mornings, I'm not really glorifying God in my bodies because some mornings, if I start diving right into work, maybe I wake up early and I've got a lot of stuff firing off in my brain and I start trying to do things and it's 7.30 and I've worked until 9.30 in the morning and I still haven't eaten. I kind of feel this way. 
that's before food. And then Joy will say, maybe I can make you an egg. And here, here's a banana. And so I eat a little bit. And all of a sudden, it's amazing. 15 minutes later, I'm so productive. And I feel so much more at peace. Just putting the right foods in our body can alter our perception. And it can even alter our mood. I'm telling you that I still have to work on this. I'm grateful that I have two women in my household, my wife and my daughter, who can help monitor that with me. And I need to give them permission to help me eat the right foods so that I can maintain a balance in my life because they'll be the first to tell you that I'm not always balanced. A principle from Daniel's example, I grow strong by refusing what's wrong. That's one of those things that if we start to develop one good habit by giving up an old habit, we need to start practicing that again and again, because all of a sudden it becomes so much more natural to practice the new habit. What better time for us to think about creating new habits than when all of a sudden our world has changed and we get 14 whole days and probably much more than that so that we can start practicing new habits. This is the time for us to start turning over new leaves and making good, solid, healthy habits. I think that we'll be far better of it coming out the other end of this sequestered time. It may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food. Now, that's from the message version of the Bible. It's a paraphrase, but I think it's pretty apt. It may be true that the body is temporary, but there's no reason why we should say, well, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well just gorge. That's no good excuse. We need to understand that in the years that we do have with these bodies, God wants us to treat them well so that we can be productive for the kingdom. And that goes into last week's message. These are a couple of books that I've looked at. Uh, one that Joy got years ago, it's called The Maker's Diet by Jordan S. Rubin. He looks at a lot of the Old Testament things, including some things from Daniel. And then something that Rick Warren's church out Saddleback Community Church in California had done. They did a 40 days to healthier life, the Daniel plan where they map out that. He says, it's not the Daniel diet. It's the Daniel plan because it's learning how to put some of these biblical principles to use in our lives to become more healthy mind, body, and spirit. And then this is a, a different kind of view. And I had to scratch my head when I started really unpacking it, balancing your energy. Somebody said this as I was studying, and I had to think, do I really agree with this or not? And I believe I do, looking at many of the passages in the Gospels about Jesus. Jesus' energy management was even more important than time management. Why can you say that? Because there were times when he would minister and people would clamor to see him, and he'd even try to get to the other side of the lake. What did the people do? They ran around to the other side of the lake. He couldn't not minister sometimes because he had such compassion for them, but he still needed to manage his energy. And so sometimes he would get up way early in the morning, even while it was still night, way before dawn, he would get up and go out to a secluded spot and he would pray. Simon and those with him went looking for him and they found him and said, everybody's looking for you. He was managing his energy levels by understanding that we need rest so we can replenish that energy. Otherwise, we can expend our energy to the point that we burn out. And Jesus knew how to manage energy. Uh, he was one of the most productive people we'll ever meet, ever. And I look forward to meeting him in person one day. But that's the thing that we can learn from him is that sometimes we need that rest in our lives. You know what he did right after he'd been praying for that? He said, we need to move on to the next village. And the disciples were shocked because they're thinking there's, there's a whole lineup of people out there. 
there's not enough hospital beds for these coronavirus victims. And he says, I know we need to move on to the next village. He was prioritizing by checking in with his heavenly father and he was managing his energy and checking in to make sure his priorities were straight rather than just reacting. He was being proactive. And I think that's something we can learn from him as well. We need room for restoration, which brings balance, that restorative rest. And I mentioned this last week in talking about productivity. I realize that there are sometimes when I think I'm being productive, I'm really just being frenetic. That doesn't mean that I'm restoring in my energy. So I have to try to figure out, okay, what can I do with my time now? If I have this extra time, that's going to actually bring balance into my life and not just ramp me up into feeling more anxious. Psalm 127.2, it is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing you'll starve to death, for God wants his loved ones to get proper rest. Sabbath rest is important. You're doing some of that right now. We're all resting together in God's grace. We're relaxing into his grace by being together in his presence in worship. When I listen to some of those songs, and I listen to them uh, a little prematurely, I listened to some of them yesterday, and it ministered to my heart. I, I just about, it brought me to tears because I was able to relax into God's grace and to feel God's spirit moving in my heart. That personal worship is so important, especially if we have more time on our hands and we're starting to feel anxious, go to YouTube, look up some of those worship songs. It's a great way to find some Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest is so important that God listed it among the Ten Commandments. Think about that. Don't break the Sabbath. He put that right up there with murder and adultery, all these other things, thou shalt not lie. He put it right there among that. And I doubt that any of you out there have pulled a trigger and killed somebody. But I bet every one of us has broken the Sabbath at one point. And that doesn't mean that we should become legalistic about it. But I think God wants us to know, hey, this is important. We need to take time out and trust God that he's in control of this situation. And when we're tempted to try to grab the reins and just uh, work so hard to make it come out in our own strength, we need to realize God's in control. I feel out of control, but God is still in control. And that's why we need to replenish our spiritual strength by practicing Sabbath rest. And then thinking healthy thoughts. Keep yourself in training for a godly life. Physical exercise is good for your body, but spiritual exercise is valuable in every way because it not only helps you in your present life, but prepares you for the life to come. That's that eternal perspective that really makes us better prepared to face what for many is going to be a panicked time in our society, wherever you happen to be. Even if you're on the other side of the planet right now, it's happening to all of us, and this is true for everybody. Max Lucado, let me read to you something that Max Lucado said. Anxiety is an out-of-control thought pat pattern. It settles over the mind like a severe weather system, spewing thunderclouds and casting lightning bolts. Life feels like an airplane in a tailspin. It feeds on what-ifs and worst-case scenarios. I can identify with that. There have been a few times when I've read some of the statistics related to this pandemic, and I've started to feel this way. And then these are some of those kinds of thoughts that he maps out for us. What if the coronavirus is unstoppable? What if a pandemic takes over? Clearly, he wrote this before it was termed a pandemic. I'll be quarantined for weeks. Yeah. The economy is sliding out of control. I'll lose my health. I'll lose my job. I'll lose it all. How will I survive unemployment? 
Can you feel the panic escalating as emotions slide into these dark thoughts? Don't give into this kind of thought pattern, Max Lucado says. To give into those thoughts are a step into quicksand. Therefore, here's some things we can do with biblical principles to keep us from sliding into those kinds of thoughts. Take a deep breath. Go ahead and do it with me now, wherever you are. Uh, pray about it. And he says, don't pray those mamby-pamby generalized prayers. Get specific about it. Identify the culprit. What specifically are you worried about? Say, okay, God, this is what I'm really worried about. I'm worried that if I lose my job, I won't be able to pay my mortgage and we'll be homeless. I'll lose my house. I mean, get specific. Pray about it and share that prayer request with others because remember, we need those helpful friends. Take an action step. You may not know what the step might be, so pray that through until God gives you a few action steps. Make them small, make them manageable, but you can take a step. Whatever the action step is, by doing something that normalizes your life, it takes you out of that negative spiral and starts to make you feel like, well, I'm still here. The world's still turning. The sun still came up today. I can still wash my dishes. I can still do laundry. I can still take a shower. That's a good idea anyway. We need to be cleaning off this stuff. But take simple action steps. If you say, I'm going to contact somebody uh, at the social services department to see if I can get an extension on my mortgage, whatever that action step might be, take it and make a list and keep praying about it. And then ask, can God solve this? I think it's easy for us to start thinking, oh, I don't know. I, I think I've reached the one thing that God can't handle. <laughs> That's just not true. Can God solve this? Of course he can. God is still in control. That's why we need to do all the things that Dr. Pipe was talking to, to us about from scripture. And we need to think on these things like Paul had talked about, those things that are trustworthy and positive. A Christian physician said this, uh, we're in a worldview clash right now. And I'm getting so many more questions that are really pushing against Christianity as being even valid. And I thought this was really good. It's from a Christian worldview and it's from a physician. And he says this, all of a sudden, the world has been put on pause. Feels like it. This is such a unique moment. Søren Kierkegaard was noted for saying, if God spoke into the world, would anyone hear him? And he said, nope, they wouldn't because there's just too much noise. And he said, what the world really needs now more than anything is silence. And isn't it interesting? It's almost like the world, the global community has pushed the pause button. And all of a sudden we have this forced silence upon all of us. I just wonder if this is the time in which people, whether you know the Lord and are anxious or don't know the Lord, but you're wondering, maybe my way of interpreting the world and what I've been trusting in is not working anymore. Maybe this is a time that God could be speaking. And maybe you're hearing and you're realizing that there's something way more trustworthy in life than science or medicine or facts or whatever you're depending on, in that void where you don't place any other idol, there's a God whose loving kindness reaches to the skies and his faithfulness extends to us 
and who is a promise keeper, who never, never, never gives up on his promises. I think it's an encouraging word, and I'd like for us to pause and pray right now and ask God to show us how we can put our trust fully in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is like somebody has pushed the pause button. And I'm praying for those people who may be thinking, ooh, where can I find hope? What am I going to do to get through this? I pray that they will reach out to you, even in this moment, that your Holy Spirit would be drawing them to yourself, that they would trust you fully. And I pray, Father, that if there's somebody who has the big questions in life, that they'll reach out to you for the answers because you've got them and you're willing to provide them if they'll just ask. And for all of us, I pray that we'll continue to cling to our faith in you, not because it's our great faith that will see us through, but it's you who sees us through, thanks to what Christ did for us on the cross. And I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.